You are all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction, so stay together both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who rules over all, works through all and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permitted with oneness. But that doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same. Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us is given his own gift. The text for this is, he climbed the high mountain, he captured the enemy and seized the booty. He handed it all out in gifts to the people. It's true, is it not, that the one who climbed up also climbed down to the valley of earth. And the one who climbed down is the one who climbed back up, up to the highest heaven. He handed out gifts above and below, filled heaven with his gifts, filled earth with his gifts. He handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor teacher to train Christians in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. No prolonged infancies among us, please. We'll not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are easy mark for imposters. God wants us to grow, to know the whole truth and tell it in love, like Christ and everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. In that passage that Amy read, it talked about the church being the body of Christ, fully alive fully expressive of the life and the love that is in Jesus. You know, when we talk about following Jesus together, which is what we're talking about at the moment, we're not just talking about, you know, let's all just try and get on together so there's less friction as we try to achieve all the tasks and things that we have to do. No, no. We're talking about the church, which is at the very center of God's eternal plan because his his eternal plan is to show the world the beauty and the brilliance of Jesus through his church, through you and me. That's his whole plan. So when we were singing just a moment ago, God just dropped something into my heart. We were singing, um, you're more beautiful than anything I could describe. I want to see you face to face. And as we were singing that, a line from Les Miserables dropped into my mind. It says this, to love another person is to see the face of God. To love another person is to see the face of God. Now listen, I I know it's wonderful when we're just in a moment of ecstasy beholding his face. I I, I think it's going to be wonderful when when we go to be with him and we see him face to face. But there's a sense in which we can see the beauty of the face of Jesus when we really get it together and love one another. His beauty and his glory is meant to be revealed in you and me, in us, in the church. That's what we're talking about, nothing less than that. There is a, a book and a film. It sounds like I'm doing charades every time I say that. Book and a film um, called The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. And it is about a, it's a tragic and yet amazing story of a French journalist and, and uh, editor of a, a magazine who in his mid-40s had a massive stroke and was paralyzed. 
and he, he, had, he was in a coma for a while, and then he experienced what was called what is called locked-in syndrome. So he was completely paralyzed and unable to move, express him, and yet he was completely inside. He was completely alive and alert, and his mind was fine. The only way he could communicate was just blinking with one eye. And he wrote a book by doing that. Somebody held up the alphabet and started going through the alphabet, and when she got to the letter in the alphabet that he wanted, to, he would just blink. And that's how he wrote a book, his memoir. Tragically, he died just two days after the um, book had been published. Now, a New York pastor called John Tyson had just been to see the film, was moved deeply by it, because it made him think about the body of Christ. And he wrote this. He said, in some sense, we suffer from a form of locked-in syndrome. Christ, our head, full of vision, longing, and passion for the world, aches to be able to express himself through a functioning body. But something seems to have happened, some kind of spiritual stroke. Only a portion of our potential is being realized while Jesus blinks out his vision through a fraction of the church. It sounds a bit negative, but you get what he means. He's, he's longed so much to express his life and his love to the church. But it's like the church is paralyzed. And he said this, he prayed this as he walked around the streets of New York. Lord, bring your body to life. May it express your heart and passion in a way that reveals the splendor of your salvation to the world. And that is his purpose to express the beauty of himself and his salvation to the world through his church. When I think of that, when I think of the beauty being expressed, there's many different ways, many different images we could use, but I, I tend to think, and you, some of you have heard me speak about this before, I tend to think of the beauty of the dance. And the reason I, I think that partly is because the church fathers used to talk about the Trinity that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The old ancient church fathers used to talk about it as a dance. There was a word for it, a Greek word for it called perichoresis. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but it doesn't matter. Perichoresis. It was like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in this dance, this beautiful dance of love and honor of one another. It's almost like they're trying to outdo one another in honoring each other. And we are called, in one sense, to participate in a dance like that, a dance of love, a dance of relationship where we, we honor one another, we love one another, we serve one another, we encourage one another, we move together sometimes in vulnerability and at times we move back and give one another space to, to grow. And, and, and it's a dance. It's, it's a little bit like this. Jesus put it like this from in John 17, the most beautiful prayer in John 17, Jesus says, I pray for those who will believe in me, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory. It's like the beauty that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. There's the dance working perfectly, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Then the world will see the beauty of Jesus through a people who are living 
in relationship and love like that. So I want to talk this morning about dancing together. Because we can either dance together, if we can put the first slide up, we can either dance together or we can fight together. And too often the church, rather than dancing in loving relationship, have fought each other. Now, another of the reasons, by the way, that I, I wanted to talk about the beauty of the dance, because if you, if you listen carefully to that Ephesians 4 reading from the message version or paraphrase of the Bible, you might have heard this. Let me, can we just put those up for the first, those couple of verses there? I hope you can read that. I'll read it out just in case you can't. He handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor, teacher to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body of the church until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's son. That sounds like dancing to me, m- moving rhythmically and efficiently. And, and a little bit later on it says, we take our lead from Christ. He's leading in this dance. He's the choreographer. Who is the source of everything we do? He keeps us in step with each other. Folks, we're meant to dance with one another. Some of you may not like dancing, but we are. We're meant to dance with one another, not fight. The thing about dancing is, of course, dancing can turn into fighting, if you're not, because dancing can be messy, because when you're learning to dance together, you start, you're standing on each other's toe. You should have seen Alison and I when we first started ballroom dancing together. We, we, they didn't last long. And um, standing on each other's toes, kicking each other's shins, and often it would cause arguments and things. Um, and, and it reminded, and, and they actually say apparently, apparently uh, the police report that a lot of fights in nightclubs, they start on the dance floor. You know, somebody bumps into somebody or kicks somebody by accident, and then a whole fight starts. And sometimes the church has been like that. It's meant to be dancing, but instead we've fought one another. And it also reminded me, though, that you have to, if you're going to learn to dance, you've got to be willing to say yes to the mess to a certain extent. When I, when, because as you're learning to dance, Because when I I first uh, started teaching many years ago, I started as an English teacher. Uh, But in my second year of teaching, they persuaded me to teach some dance lessons. It's because I had a little bit of a background. I'd I'd done dancing when I was younger, and they'd they'd heard this. I I mistakenly let them know. And um, so they said, we want you to teach dance this year. So for a year, school year, I taught dance, and I absolutely hated it. I hated it. They, the kids were all over the place. They were running all over the place. When you couldn't get them to do anything. They were swinging from the curtains and all kinds of stuff. It was, it was awful. After the first year, I said, I'm never doing that again. I want the kids behind desks, sat down, where I can see them, where I can get at them, and where they're studying studiously and quietly, preferably. That's how I like it. Don't want dancers. But I mentioned last time I preached that we, the church is a school of love. And in this school... We've got dance lessons, okay? We've got dance lessons, and it gets a little bit messy. But if we learn to listen to the choreographer, listen to the music of the Spirit, and, and value one another, we can learn to dance this dance of relationship. There's another image I like to use when thinking about the beauty of what the church is meant to produce, and it's to do with a symphony playing a you know, an orchestra playing a, a beautiful symphony. And just a few weeks ago, I took Alison as a, an early birthday present. I took her to listen to the Halle Orchestra, who were, were outside of Manchester. They, they'd come, they'd visiting Bradford, and I took her to listen to the Halle Orchestra. 
um, her, her grandfather used to play in the Halley Orchestra, so that was the kind of treat for her, it was part of her heritage. So we took her to see the Halley Orchestra, and um, I, was, uh, I made a mistake with the tickets. We were actually right on the front row, which is not what I planned to do. Uh, but I'd forgotten they build the stage out, and so we were right on the front row, which has its disadvantages. But one of the advantages, I could see all the, close up all the musicians, all the instrumentalists, all the members of the orchestra. And there was one moment, and it was, and I don't, you know, maybe it's not everybody's cup of tea, but it, I thought it was beautiful, deeply moving at one point. And, and as I was being moved by this amazing music, I just looked across at one of the violin, at least I think it was a violin. I mean, I don't know. I'm not doing how much. I think it could have been a viola. I don't know. But it's some instrument. Anyway, and um, stringed instrument. And uh, she was, uh, here's me experiencing this moment of beauty. And I looked across at her, and maybe she'd done it many times, but she was so focused, so concentrated on the music and everything. And, she, and, and, and as I looked at her, how hard, for me, it was a moment of beauty. For her, I'm sure she was enjoying well, I hope she was enjoying it, but uh, it was a moment of work. And I, I thought to myself, I wonder how many hours she's put into practicing to be that good on, let's say it was a violin, um, and, 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 and to learn that piece so well, and all of them. And I thought, what was a moment of beauty for me had come about because there was a lot of hard work for them. And if we're going to create the beauty of Jesus and the brilliance of Jesus for the world to see, we're going to have to work at it. We're going to have to work at this dance. We're going to have to work at this symphony, if you like. So I want to talk about a couple of things. I think things we need to work at, two things that we need to work at rejecting, and two things we need to work at embracing, if we're going to dance together rather than fight together. So the first one, two things to reject. Two things to reject. They're like, change the, let's change the... Actually, I'm touching upon my three favorite illustrations here for the church. One is the dance. The other is the uh, orchestra or the symphony. And the other now is the garden. These are things we've got to root out. We've got to pull out of our garden, okay? The first one is tribal thinking. Tribal thinking. Another word for tribal thinking is them and us thinking. This, by the way, is my observations after about 30 years of leadership now. Um, in different churches, my observation of what can go wrong and what happens in churches sometimes, not just in churches, but in our culture as well. Tribal thinking is them and us thinking. There's them over there and there's us over here and we're better, we're right, they, them is wrong, you know. And, and, and it happens in our society all the time whether it's between men and women, ethnicities, Russian, Ukrainian, whether, whether it's between... At the moment, the problem is in our world is not that we've all gone too woke and lefty or that we're all too conservative and reactionary. The problem is that we're polarized and we're not listening to one another and we're not valuing the different perspectives of one another and being willing to learn from one another. It's because we're not valuing the other. And, and, and learning from the other. We're thinking in terms of them and us. And it happens, I'm sorry to say, in the church as well. So Paul addresses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, he says um, some, why is it that some of you are saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Peter, and I am of Apollos? Who are they? It's all about Jesus. And factions can get produced in the church because we're thinking, well, us lot over here, we understand this, that lot over there, they think like that, they're wrong. 
And instead of listening and learning from one another, we produce this tribal them and us thinking. Paul goes after this in all of his letters. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free male or female. They are all one in Christ Jesus. He says it again in Colossians chapter 3. He says it in Ephesians 4. We read it earlier. He says this, you were all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction to stay together both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who rules over all, works through all and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. We can't afford to think tribally as us and them. We are all one in Christ. It's permeated with oneness. And so let's avoid tribal thinking, first of all. Secondly, we need to avoid and to reject, to pull out, to root out binary thinking. Binary thinking is either or thinking. So, this, so you combine tribal thinking and, and binary thinking together and you're in trouble. Because tribal thinking, you've got them and us, and then you're saying, and we are right and they are wrong. We've got the truth and they are heretics and probably demonic. That's kind of what happens. And we, we kind of polarize and then we stigmatize the other and we demonize the other and we weaponize all our arguments against them. And it's happening all the time in our society. Somebody has talked about the tyranny of the awe and the genius of the and. The tyranny of the awe, which demands that we take up, we're either awe, you either believe this or you believe that. Rather than you say, actually, it's not either or, it's both and. Now, don't get me wrong, there are some things which are either or. <laughs> so either... Jesus rose from the dead or he didn't and if he did it changes everything uh, you know so there are some either ors. you know Jesus rose from the dead and if you want to have an experience and an encounter with the risen Christ and to walk with him as we were singing about before then we'd love to invite you and introduce you to him so there are some either ors, but there's a lot of things which are not and you have to hold them together in John 1, it says when Jesus came and revealed the glory of God, the beauty of God, it says he was full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. And you've got to hold them together. And if you don't, you, 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 you emphasize one at the expense of the other, you end up in a mess. So you can say grace, well, God loves us unconditionally, no matter what. Hey, however broken and messed up you are, God loves you unconditionally. How many of you believe that's true? I believe it's true. Absolutely. The grace of God. But he's also reveals truth about how he's designed for us to live. And there are some things which are right and there are some things which are wrong. And there are some things which are truth and some things which are error. And so we have to hold that together and people are getting messed up at the moment because they're trying to be so full of grace that they wouldn't... Speak the truth about how God designed us to live. You've got to hold those things together. I was, I was listening to a podcast. I was cleaning the house. I mean, I'm, I, should, I should be got loads of 
husband points at the moment, don't you think? I took her to a, took her to a symphony and I'm cleaning, no, okay, no. And cleaning the hand, I'm cleaning the house. They're all thinking, no, how, what makes you think it's a woman's job, huh? <laughs> so, fair enough, that's a, that's a fair point. Both hands. Anyway, I was listening to the, I was listening to the, um, I was listening to this podcast about this debate between whether it's original sin or original goodness, and and I and I'm getting mad with this podcast because I'm saying it's both and you know, here's me cleaning the house, listening to a podcast about original sin and original goodness. I really know how to live it up at my weekends, don't I? Do you notice? I think the bathroom is not clean properly now because I was getting mad at these guys. It's not either or. It's both and. God created us good. It was very good. But we are flawed. We're broken. It's both and. Anyway, here's another one. Is it, um, this is going to be important for us. Is it that we should be just loving people and blessing them and serving them and doing acts of kindness just to, to, to show them the love of God? Or should we be preaching the gospel and letting them know the truth so we can get them saved? Is it either that, either that or which, which you think it is? Which, which side do you want to go on? No, either or. You know, which tribe do you want to join? No, it, surely it's both and, isn't it? Isn't it both and? It's both and. And so we must be careful of binary thinking as well as tribal thinking. Okay. They're the bad things. So we're all going to reject them, aren't we? We're not going to be an us and them people, and we're not going to be an either or people. Well, on the, things that matter, on the things that matter we are, but on the other things we're not. We're both and people. Okay, so here's... And you might think, why are you talking about this, Trevor? Honestly, these things I've seen divide churches, break you know, whole groups apart, because us and them thinking and either or thinking. So here's what we do instead. Here's some things to embrace that will help us to dance this beautiful dance. And the first one is rhythm. Here I'm really getting into the dancing bit now. Because this came as such a flash of revelation and insight to me some years ago. I absolutely loved it because I, I, I knew that this whole thing about you have to hold two things together, paradox you might call it, you know, it's grace and truth. You know, it's, and and one, here was a big one for me was it's grace and discipline. Grace and effort. You know, the fact that we were saved by grace, i.e. God's love for us, he, it's not what we do for him, it's what he has done for us. The grace is not against effort. It's against earning, but it's not against effort. You can't earn your salvation, but you do have to make every effort to work out your salvation. In other words, to work out the, in the good of what Jesus has done for you. It's important. But I struggle sometimes to get the balance. I mean, I, I sometimes, sometimes thought, oh, oh, no, no, it's, it's let go and let God. It's just, it's not what I have to do. I need to stop striving and struggling. I just let go and let God. He'll do it all in me and through me. Oh, that's what I need to do. And then other times, oh, no, 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 I'm getting too lazy and sloppy. I've got to work really, really hard. And, and I'd kind of go in between the two. It's like the dance that I was doing was the tango, you know. It's, like, it's grace. No, it's effort. Oh, it's grace. No, it's a, it was, that's the only dance that I did. You know, that's... that's that's no good. So, um, <laughs> I just lost my place now. But anyway, um, so this came as a revelation to me. I was listening to some guy speak once, and he just said, "Stop thinking in terms of balance. You know, I've got to try and get the right balance. Don't think in terms of balance. Think in terms of rhythm. In other words, 
what is the Holy Spirit emphasizing for you at any one time? Listen to the music of the Spirit. Listen to the beat of the Spirit. What's he emphasizing of you at any one time? He says, yeah, you know, sometimes it is. Just relax. Stop striving. Another time in your spiritual life is, come on, get up. Start moving. Stop being a victim. You know, get up and do something about it. And it's listening to the Holy Spirit. It's rhythm. It's so important that you're listening right. The other day I was listening, I said, well, I thought I was listening. I said to God, I said, oh, Lord, I just think you're, you're telling me to take a rest, aren't you? You're just, you're just telling me to take it easy and slow down and just need to relax a little bit more. I said, oh. And then I felt the Holy Spirit saying, something, do you think? <laughs> That's what I'm saying, is it? Oh, okay. And it wasn't. He was wanting me to get a grip of certain things in my life. <laughs> you might be thinking, oh, you know, I'm just... I'm just ruthlessly eliminating hurry from my life over here. And, 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 no, no, no. I want you to get up and run. It's important. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Because it's not, don't join a particular camp. I'm the make every effort, really be really disciplined group. No. You might need to be listening to the Spirit and he's telling you to stop doing all that now. And this, again, this, this is why that I'm talking about individually there, but it's true corporately as well. Again, there was a time when we would talk rightly about the scattered church, the church out in the world sown as seed. And that's still true. The church is not just a meeting. We are the church when we're out in the, our everyday worlds. But last week, Dan brought a word to us about the importance of the gathered church. And it is important. And right now, the Holy Spirit is emphasizing that we need to be gathered together in worship and for the word and to break bread and for fellowship is it that scattered churches stop being true now? No, both are true, but what's the Holy Spirit emphasizing right at this moment? That's true for us as well about, if you like, the acts of love and kindness, the social justice, the community transformation, and preaching the gospel, and telling people, explaining to people why we believe what we believe, what, why do we do what we do. It's not either or, it's both and. We have had an emphasis I believe a spirit-led emphasis on acting out the gospel in acts of love and kindness. And we have established relationships. We've established a credibility. We've established an integrity in this community. And I do believe the Holy Spirit is increasingly turning the focus. That's still all true. Turning the focus and saying, you've got to be ready to explain the gospel now as well. And to, to share the truth of the gospel and we're going to have to look at where we do that if you want to come and find out where we're at and are thinking about that as a leadership then in the next space I'll be talking about that and giving an opportunity for discussion about thinking about evangelism we're going to call it but it's about listening to the Holy Spirit and that's what we believe he's saying to us now okay this is why it's important by the way that you listen to what God, if you're part of this community, you listen to what is the word for us today because we can all go and listen to all kinds of things on the internet. Now, you can hear far better preaching than this on the internet at the click of a mouse, okay? And, and you can go and listen to and, 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 and it's good stuff. I listen to loads of stuff. I read loads of stuff and I find it really, really helpful and it feeds me and it helps me and it gives me different perspectives. But if you're a part of this community, you need to see what is the Holy Spirit saying to us on our journey now. That's why it's important. One of the reasons why it's important to gather together to hear the word. 
But it's also, by the way, if you cannot be here one Sunday morning, please listen to it. <laughs> listen to what God is saying because it, it, it's about his word for us as a church. Not just, oh, I've got this thought, I've got this thought, and he's got this thought. No, no. What is the Holy Spirit saying to us as a church? Okay, last point, and then I'll stop. I promise I'll stop. <laughs> Difference. And I haven't left my time to do much on this, so I'll just say it. As well as embracing rhythm, we need to, to embrace difference. So it said this earlier on when we were looking at Ephesians chapter 4. It talked about being one, all being one. And then it says this, but that doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same. Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us is given his own gift. So again... One of the ways in which we avoid either-or thinking or tribal thinking is that we listen to one another. We each have different perspectives. We each have different angles of vision. We each bring different gifts to it. I would have liked to have said more about that, but it's important. The only thing I would say about it is don't make disagreement the ultimate virtue. So it is okay that we've got difference of opinion and different perspectives and, and different, different ways of looking at things, angles of vision. That's fine, but the call of Scripture is be united in mind and heart. There's many things that are just a matter of opinion and we can have difference of opinion on, it's fine. But he wants us to be united in heart and mind and faith and vision. So the disagreement is a step along the way as we learn to listen to one another and learn what the Holy Spirit is saying to us together. If you hold rhythm, i.e. it's different emphases at different times, and we can learn from one another as we, we're more likely to achieve a unity of the Spirit than we're all just, instead of dancing, we're stamping our foot. You know, this is what I believe. I'm one of these truth people. You know, preach the gospel, get them saved. You know, no, 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 it's just all just love, love. No, no, that's not dancing. That's stamping our feet. Let's not do that. Okay, let me finish with a cry. I mentioned John Tyson at the beginning talking about locked-in syndrome, the church's locked-in syndrome. He wrote this as well. I want to finish with this. He wrote about, and I feel it passionately myself, that the church it hasn't got locked-in syndrome as such, but it is pretty battered and bruised and broken in many ways, especially in the West. We've not only just suffered COVID, we've... we've suffered massive changes in our culture and in our society. Some people have given up on the church. Oh, I'll just follow Jesus, just Jesus and me. I'll give up on the church. I'm sorry, you can't do that. If you're following Jesus, you've got to be committed to local church. And he's writing about this, and he says this. I'll finish with this. Each generation of believers is given an opportunity to tell the story of Jesus through the local church. Regardless of our history, we get to put the brilliance of Jesus on display. There is a rumor going around the West that in spite of the avalanche of change and the often repeated accusations of irrelevance, a church has actually survived. Yes, she is stained. Yes, she is broken. But she is here. Her Lord is at work within her. The bride is becoming beautiful. His presence is becoming tangible. The body is becoming functional. Beauty is rising and resisting the brokenness. Beauty is rising in the church. And if we would learn, learn to get it together, folks. 
we will put the beauty and brilliance of Jesus on display in the local church. Amen.